Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all this morning in the house of the Lord. I'm going to move the cords out of the way so I don't fall down. Um, there we go. My name is Amy Winkle. I am the rector here at Emmanuel, and so glad to be together this morning in the house of the Lord. So good to get to worship together. Um, I look forward to continuing to, to the worship together this morning. Um, just want to mention one thing, kind of as we continue our journey through the season of Epiphany. Um, we've talked about the last couple of weeks that during this season, um, this is the time when we recognize how Christ has been revealed um, into this world, not only to us, but to the whole world uh, throughout time. And we get to participate in different practices that acknowledge that, that recognize that. Um, and so a couple of the, the practices we've talked about so far are, is, are blessing our homes um, and commending our vocations and in ways in which um, Christ's presence can be manifest within us and to us and also to those around us. And we've also talked about that praying God would make himself known to others as well, those who are outside um, the walls of the church. And so now I just want to mention to us an opportunity that we have to be invited deeper into that call um, from God that he might be revealed to those in our lives who don't know him. As we continue through the season of Epiphany, um, I want you to think of in your life two people that you know of who don't know Jesus and commit to pray for them. Specifically, that we might pray that they would experience the love of Jesus in a very real and undeniable way and that they would be open to him. I just, uh, if you didn't hear Jenny's sermon last week, I commend it to you. I, um, I suggest that you listen to it. One of the things that she talked about, she gave us this beautiful image of her mother-in-law in the presence of the Lord, holding up the name of one of her son's friends who didn't know Jesus as a way to just put him before the Lord out of love of her heart to say, I see this young man and I want him to know Jesus like I know Jesus. I want him to experience the love of God the way I have experienced the love of God. And as Jenny said, like, it's not that our prayers have some kind of, you know, certain power or magic to them. It's the Holy Spirit that has that power. But yet we know that the Holy Spirit works through our prayers. That there are things that happen when we bring things into the presence of God. And so that's what we're being invited into, to hold up these folks that we know who don't know Jesus during this season and pray that he might be revealed to them and in them out of love for them because we truly want them to come to know the Lord. Now, I know sometimes when we, you know, talk about these things or like for those, depending on your background, if you can't, depending on the background that you came out of around evangelism, we can get a little nervous sometimes um, of like, are we being like calling to be called to be domineering or to be prescriptive in people's lives? And that's not what we're talking about. We're not asking, like we're not talking about like dictating to the Lord what needs to happen in other people's lives. What we're talking about is having the love of God so much within us that we want others to know that love as well. And believe that he already knows them. We know that. He already loves them. And we just get to join him in what he's doing. And so here is our invitation to 
prayerfully think of two people that we know around us that the Lord is calling us to hold up in his presence. And so I I just commend it to you to put it in your phone, put a reminder to you to pop up every day to spend a few moments bringing them before the Lord, praying for them. What I also want to mention, too, is that we're not alone in this endeavor, that we're actually joining with some other churches in our diocese to do this together. And I think that's really important because it also reminds us that the kingdom of God is really big and that God is moving all over the place, all over our world, laying people on our hearts to pray for. And we, for the, in the Lord's great mystery, get to be part of it. And we are thankful for that. So this is our prayer initiative for the next few weeks, especially, and, and, and continue on. Um, but we want to, to focus in on that during this time. All right, so we're going to continue our study in the book of Mark today. We've been talking, uh, just started Mark as our, our gospel for this liturgical year. And we're gonna, going to continue in Mark 1. So let's turn there to Mark 1. We're going to be in, in verses 14 to 20. Here's what the gospel says. Now, after Jesus was arrested, Jesus came... Sorry, let's start that again. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. That it goes forth and it does not return void. So we pray, God, that through your Holy Spirit, you would quicken our hearts and our minds this morning as we sit with your word. And would you speak to us, Lord? Would you call us into the deeper parts of your spirit? This deep calling unto deep. Would we hear your voice, Jesus? And follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, um, where are we in the book of Mark? We're still in chapter 1. But we've been talking about it for the last couple of weeks. And so just to give us a little bit of a sense of where we are. We've been introduced to the ministry of John the Baptist. And then last week we walked with Jesus through his baptism and into the wilderness. And now, at this point in the text, Mark is telling us that John the Baptist has been arrested. And he doesn't really give us any details here about why John was arrested, um, you know, what what happened, what led up to his arrest. 
Um, and yet the fact that he mentions it is some kind of marker for us that this occurrence, for some reason, points to a shift for Jesus. And that shift is that is, is the beginning of his earthly ministry. Now, we don't know how long it's been since Jesus' baptism or since um, he's gone through the wilderness. But what we do know is the location in which he finds himself. So while John was out in the wilderness with people coming to him to be baptized in the Jordan River, what we see with Jesus is that instead of people coming out to him, he's going to them. He is going into Galilee, coming toward the people and proclaiming the good news of God. Now, Jesus' message or his proclamation is similar to John's. There's a call of repent to repentance. But it's also different in that instead of John's call, which was preparing the way of the Lord, Jesus is now proclaiming that the kingdom of God has come near. That the kingdom of God has come to pass. And he says that the time has been fulfilled. Basically what he's saying is this thing that you have been waiting for, this thing that John the Baptist was waiting for and preparing for, this has now come to pass. The kingdom of God has now come near. It is at hand. With the coming of Jesus is the coming of the kingdom. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying to them, hey, I'm here. The Lord has come. He has come to us. We don't have to go find him. But he has walked right in, into their location, into their specific neighborhood. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so because of this reality, because of this um, realization that Jesus has come to them, his message then is this, repent and believe. And this is where his message is similar to John. But yet, whereas John's message was one of preparation, right, to prepare the way, to prepare people for the coming of the kingdom, Jesus' message is more about a response, the response to the presence of Jesus in their midst. The response to the kingdom of God being near. And so I want us to think a little bit about this idea of repenting and believing that Jesus has call, is calling for. So first of all, talking about the idea of repenting. I think it's easy sometimes when we read these words and think about it to think only about behavior. The do's and the don'ts. Like this idea that repenting is behavior modification. I'm going to not do these bad things anymore, and I'm going to start doing these good things. And that is part of it. But that's not the whole of it. It's really something that goes much deeper than that. It's more about where our allegiances are. The call of repentance, then, is a call to a profound turning of ourselves to the Lord. It is about a radical reorienting. It's not just about, I don't do this anymore, and now I do this. It is to say, my life in its deepest parts is turning toward God in such a way that then my behavior follows, but what's on the inside is what really Jesus is after. It involves orienting all that we are, just as we are, to God. 
the acknowledgement on a truly deep level that Jesus is Lord and I am not. Amen? That he is in charge and I am not. Amen? Repentance is turning, changing course, and Lord help us bowing our knee in submission to him. And that goes deeper than just what we do on the surface. It's an inner reorienting of our heart and life. That, and it's from that place then that our behaviors follow. So that's the call here from Jesus about repenting. And then the second part of it is about believing. Believing that Jesus is who he says he is. And that the kingdom of God has truly come near. Because if, if it is true that Jesus is who he says he is, and it is true that the kingdom of God has truly come near, then our lives are meant to reorient themselves around that, to become about that. And long, therefore, they're no longer about me being in charge of my life, no longer me who's calling the shots. No longer do I live in such a way that puts me at the center of everything. But instead, now Jesus is at the center. And the way that I have been orienting my life up until that point is now called into question. So I don't think it's by happenstance that Mark puts that right before he then puts the story about these four brothers. I think what Jesus is calling us too, in that, in his proclamation, we then see lived out in these four brothers in the following text. So let's look at these brothers. First of all, Simon and Andrew. So Simon and Andrew were fishing when Jesus calls them. And Mark tells us that this is their livelihood, that they are in fact fishermen. And Jesus calls to them and he says, come and follow me. Literally come after me. That's what he says here. And then Mark tells us that immediately, remember we've talked about that over and over again in the book of Mark, immediately they drop their nets and follow after him. Now, in true Mark fashion, we don't get any more context than that. I mean, I really want to know what was happening in their hearts and minds in the midst of that, but we don't get that context. But what the reality is, is that they are leaving what they know and a sense of security behind they are leaving what would be predictable outcomes, the, fishing, the catching of fish, they're leaving that behind. The security of a profession that they know that will provide for them. That has now been called into question. And what Jesus calls them into instead is to become one who fishes for people. So what we see is Jesus taking something that, we, that they already know and then reorienting it, turning the focus of it in a different direction, a different outcome, and one that they don't get to determine. And so what we see in this call to, from Jesus to these brothers is him taking what they have and what they know and reorienting it then to the kingdom. And the same is true for you and me. That the call of Jesus on our life is to take the things that we know or the things that we have and reorient them, those things then to the kingdom, to using those things for kingdom purposes. 
And so when we look at this call to, to Simon and to Andrew, we must also recognize Jesus' call to each and every one of us in our abilities, in what we already know, or in what we already have. Where might Jesus want to reorient those things for the kingdom? Where does he want for those things to be under his care and his lordship? To be engaged for the good of others. For the fishing of people. Now, when we look to James and John, we see a similar story, and yet a little different. Mark tells us that James and John were on a boat with their father. They were part of the family business. Mark is pointing out here not just the security of the profession, but also the societal expectations that go with it. In this culture, men followed after the profession of their father. That is what was expected of them. To carry on the work of your family, to step into your father's shoes, as it were. This was already determined by the social conventions of the day for the good of the family and for the stability of the community. And yet, we cannot deny that when Jesus shows up, these things that seem so sure are now called into question. Not because the social conventions are bad in and of themselves, but Jesus calls them into, questions, into question when they might take predominance over the place of God himself. We all have expectations that are placed on us externally by our family, by our society, by social networks, by our jobs. And yet, the call to each and every one of us is that those things must be submitted to the work of Christ in our lives. They don't get to have predominance. The lordship of Jesus has predominance in our lives. And all of these things must then be secondary to the call of God on us. They cannot take the place of God. They cannot take the place of the kingdom. Because it is the kingdom of God where our true security lies. And our true identity lies in the expectation of God for what he has called us to and for how he has created us. Now, when we read these stories about, you know, these guys just dropping their nets and following after Jesus and not knowing, like, what comes next, what does that mean, right? Like, what is it that God is calling us to? Is he calling us all to quit our day jobs and become itinerant preachers? I don't know, maybe. But I don't know. I think more that what he's saying here is that when Jesus comes near... It puts everything up for negotiation. All things go on the table. Outside of the reality of God and the kingdom of God and his death and resurrection, there are no sacred cows. We aren't in charge anymore. And neither are the scripts that we've been handed that tell us what life is supposed to look like. And so the question that we have to ask is, how has Jesus coming on the scene and the kingdom of God coming near, how has that honestly reoriented our lives? Has it reoriented our lives? 
How has it changed me and the course that I'm on? And honestly, goodnessly, what does it mean for Jesus to be truly in charge of us? As I was sitting with this text and, and thinking about this, I was th- thinking about my own call um, to ministry. But even like more than that, like one, thinking back before that, um, one of the practices that we had to do as part of the ordination process, which I think all Christians should have to do, doesn't matter if you wear a collar or not, um, is writing out a spiritual autobiography. Basically, the story of our life with God. And sometimes we just need to like sit and reflect on that because it's easy just to get into the day-to-day lives and like, and kind of be like, I don't really know where God's, God is. I'm not sure how God has shown up in my life. But when we're like tasked to write it out, to write out the story of our lives with God, we start to see these places of, oh, wait, there he was. Or, oh, wow, that was a moment of reorientation. And one of the moments of reorientation that I was thinking about this week as I was sitting with this text was my own call to ministry, um, which happened um, not surprising. Well, it is surprising <laughs> in a Baptist church. Um, and I was home for, from college, my senior year of college. I was about to go back um, for my final semester. And before I headed back to school, I went to church with my, my parents one day, and um, that final Sunday. And, um, and the pastor that, that day was preaching on God's will for your life, which I was like, well, that's helpful because I'm about to graduate and I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and I mean, I had like an idea, but I didn't really know exactly what it was going to look like. And so I was sitting in this, this Baptist church in uh, North Georgia, and, um, and the pastor said one thing that like just the Lord was like, that's what you need to hear. And what he said was this. He said, sometimes you don't get to read the contract before you have to sign it. And that's what happened with these brothers, right? It's not like Jesus was like, okay, here's what your life is going to look like now. You're going to leave your nets behind, and you're going to walk with me, and you're going to do this, 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 and this. And oh, wait, by the way, I'm going to die. And oh, yeah, by the way, a lot of you are going to die. Like, he didn't tell them the script. He just said, come and follow me. And that's what I heard that day, was that invitation of God saying, you have been wanting to negotiate this sucker out. And to define the terms of what it was going to look like. And I'm saying, the invitation is for you to come and follow me. And that day, at the end, sitting in this Baptist church that did not call women to ministry, (laughs) I said, okay, Lord, whatever it is, I'll do it. And the Lord was saying, he he was like not descriptive. But he said, you need to go get trained. And I said, okay. And that was all I got for a long time. <laughs> and I can tell you, as sure as I'm standing here, that 25 years later, I didn't expect to be standing here. But that is the way of the Lord. And there's nothing wrong with like a five-year plan or a 10-year plan as long as it's up for negotiation, right? Right? And there have been plenty of things along the way 
that I have continually had to put on the table to be part of the negotiation. Even the good things of God. Even the things that I thought he had for me. Over and over and over again. They go on to the table for negotiation. Because the reality of it is for each and every one of us is that he is Lord and we are not. He's the one who gets to decide where we walk, where we go, who we live among, who we're called to be and who we're called to pray for. Those are in his jurisdiction. And our response to him is to continue to turn, repent, and believe. Turn to him and say, you are the Lord, and I am not. Simon and Andrew and James and John give us this picture of repenting and believing, of reorienting their lives to the reality of Jesus coming near that it should reorient us when Jesus shows up. That everything in us should turn toward him and to say, this is all about you, not about me. And so may we follow in their example, example that Jesus calls us to, to come and follow after me. In Jesus' name, amen. We continue our practice of epiphany of praying for different vocations. Um, today we're going to pray for the freelancers in our midst. So if, you, if that is you, um, raise your hand and others around you can pray. Yes, come on. <laughs> there are some of us. Yep, yeah, I see those hands. Yeah. Let's, let's reach hands out to them um, so that we can pray over them. Dear Lord, we take this opportunity to honor vocation as a way to serve you in the world. We are aware that the workforce is evolving as more people make their living through short-term engagements rather than careers with employers. We pray specifically for freelancers and independent workers that they can reflect God's quality of faithfulness, his desire for dependence, his creativity, and his diligence. Lord, your imprint is on each and every person contributing to the gig economy. Through the various industries that freelancers serve, your people have opportunities to show your love to their clients. Lord, we ask your blessing and provision for all those working independently as they face each day without assurance of steady pay. We pray that your spirit would allow them to be present to the role you have prepared for them in the way they love people, places, and things to life. We ask you to remind them that you are enough. We also pray for those who hire freelancers. May these employers strive to love these workers well, understanding their need for sustenance and recognizing their own human propensity to make independent goods and services transactional only. Lord, we ask that freelancers would understand their unique role in your unfolding story. You are the ultimate creator of all that is and all that is true. We praise you for the way you have lovingly and wonderfully placed those in the gig economy in their roles as part of your plan to redeem all of creation. May we remember that no matter our work environment, our role is to point to truth and ultimately to point to you. May we know that the work before us is to be done in partnership with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
Go in peace to love and to serve the Lord. Amen. See you next week.